So I'd just like to uh, talk about this word for, for a bit. Can you all see it? Right. This is a Greek word. It's an ancient Greek word. It's a New Testament Greek word because the Greek today isn't the same Greek as they spoke in the New Testament, although everybody thinks Greek still going a completely different language, really. And uh, this word is pistis. You probably only recognise two letters. There's pi and sigma, you know, from the world of science, pi from the world of maths, uh, which says a lot about the influence of the Greeks on us, doesn't it? But pistis is probably, um, well, it must be in the 10 most significant words in the world, let alone Greek, and it's got to be in the five most significant words in the Bible. Um, and pistis um, is a very common word, and you know it very well in English. Uh, pistis, by the way, was a Greek god. Um, she was a goddess, actually. And uh, pistis, uh, when the Romans, you know, because Greek ran, uh, Greece ran the world and the Romans slowly took over, and when they translated, you know, the Roman gods were all the same as the Greek gods, but they just gave them new names. And pistis was given a new name, and uh, her Latin name is uh, fides, faith. That's what it means. And that's what actually uh, the goddess faith. And um, this is what pistis means. It's, it's the word for faith. And the point is that the church, in my view, and civilization, that's why I say it's one of the most important words in the world, has really misunderstood this. I grew up in a church where I was constantly told that I needed to have faith. But it needed to be a certain kind of faith. It needed to be saving faith. And I was constantly asked if I was born again. And if I was spirit-filled, well, I ain't got a clue. I ain't got a clue. I was trying my hardest. Do you know, like, I was like, oh, please, Lord, do this, Lord, do that. But I didn't know whether I was in or out. Do you know? I didn't, you know, have I got enough faith? And um, yeah, all of those things. And if I didn't have enough faith, and if I didn't have real faith, and if it was just fake faith, and if I was just playing at being a Christian, then the consequences were my eternal doom, I was told. So, boy, I was scared. And I, I kind of had to work on trying to get the right kind of faith, but I never really knew if it was the right kind of faith or how much faith I needed, you know, because, like, I had all these doubts. And I used to sometimes think, well, I'm sure God isn't there, really. And it's just like, you know, and I, I can't really believe Jesus actually rose from the dead and did all those miracles and Moses actually crossed the Red Sea. And then I think, oh, no, I've not got enough faith. I've not got enough faith. Because I've not got enough faith, I'm going to be doomed. And then I remember well time, uh, I really remember very well time somebody in our church got cancer and we all had to gather and pray, but we had to pray the, pr pray the prayer of faith. Like, can't an ordinary prayer do? No, it had to be the prayer of faith. And some of you will know they're brands of Christianity where you've got to pray in the right way with faith and you must not doubt. In fact, sadly, Cornelia, my wife, knows this. There was, um, there was a, 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 a dear friend of ours um, who died uh, some years ago and she was in a church where they were fasting and praying for her she, she was riddled with cancer and I used to go see her in hospital and sit with her and I became the only person she could tell that she knew she was dying because a whole church couldn't doubt you weren't allowed to doubt you weren't allowed to doubt that God would heal her because if you doubted you didn't have enough faith and she'd die as a result so she faced death without even being able to talk to her husband and children about the fact that she knew she was dying because 
Otherwise she would have doubted and she would become the own cause of her own death. Do, do you see what I mean? So this faith, this word faith has been used to abuse all sorts of people. There's a few that have faith, but then there's all the masses that are going to go to hell because they haven't got faith or they've got the wrong sort of faith or they've got faith in the wrong religion and all that kind of stuff. So this is a kind of postcode lottery, isn't it? I mean, if you, let's be honest, if you're born in Bournemouth, you're, you're going to do a lot better than if you're born in Baghdad. Baghdad. Good choice. <laughs> Baghdad is a bad place to be born <laughs> if you want eternal salvation because your chances of finding a church that teach you the right stuff about Jesus, saving faith, are a lot less than if you're hanging around Bournemouth. Trust me, there are a lot of churches in Bournemouth. This word faith, I put it to you, it's been totally misunderstood. And I put it to you that all the stuff I've just talked about is really abusive. I've been a church leader for a long time and I cannot tell you the number of people I know and I'm trying hard not to look at anyone even in this room now because I know that some of you are in the same position where you are riddled with have I got the right faith, enough faith, real faith? Am I really a Christian? Am I going to get saved? It's abusive. It's really abusive. And we've got to get away from it. So what I thought I'd do is um, I, I did some screenshots this morning. And you won't be able to see this, honestly, because I... Because I, I said, you know, I know a lot about, well, I know, I've learned a lot about point, PowerPoint over the years. And I know that when you do a PowerPoint, you put one word on a PowerPoint or two words and a picture. You don't put piles of them on like that. That's really bad. You know, what's really bad is when you get someone who's not very confident of communicating and they've also got a PowerPoint behind them with all their thoughts ever that spin in and out and all over the place like, you like don't do it. So, but they do it. And uh, so the reason for showing you this really awkward PowerPoint slide isn't because I wanted you to read it all. It's just so you know, it's a snapshot of Romans chapter three, <coughs> verses 21 to 26. Um, and I did it this morning. And I'm gonna zoom in on it a slight bit in a moment. But this um, is our Bible reading for tonight. And it says this, but now apart from the law, the righteousness, the rightness of God, um, has been made known to which the law and the prophets testified. Jesus talked about the law and prophets by which he meant the whole of the Old Testament. So now, apart from the law, rules and regs, the rightness of God has been made known which all of the Old Testament testifies to. This rightness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There you go. It says it. You've got to have faith. And if you have faith, God's righteousness is given to you, but only to those who believe. Ha ha. And you've got, oh, I don't mean you, Steve. <laughs> you know, you've not got enough faith. And if you've not got enough faith, you're doomed to die. Well, it's a strange thing. Um, Martin Luther called this the whole Bible in a paragraph. He said it was the most important paragraph in the whole Bible. In fact... It's also said, a bit was, was said by another great Christian scholar that this is the most important paragraph ever written in the history of mankind, humanity. So, I'd like to introduce you to a slight problem with it. This is the same, same screenshot, it's the same slide, but I just kind of moved it up a bit. 
So there it is, right? And, and it, but it, look what it says. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Christ to all who believe. It's what, you know, turn or burn, believe or die. Do you know all that kind of stuff? You're either in or you're out. You've either prayed the prayer, got faith and can maintain faith, or you've had it. But look at this. It's a strange little thing. Can you see, um, can you see that little A there? Can everybody see there's a little A? This is the NIV, possibly the most accurate translation of the Bible into English that we have, right? The New International Version. See that little A there? Uh, we're through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. See the little A? Well, the little A, of course, leads you to a footnote. Now, this is the latest edition of the NIV because the NIV was written in 73, updated in 78, 84, and 2011. So this is the 2011 version. Little a. Look down to the footnote. Footnote. It tells you the verse that it's in. And it says, um, is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Or it says, or, you can read the Greek differently. Through the faithfulness of. Do you read that? Can you see that? I'm only saying, can you see this? Because if I come out with this as some great theory of mine, you'll think, oh, that's Steve being a heretic again. So I just, I just want you to know this is the new international version of the Bible. And what it says is, you can read it this way. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus to all the belief, which is I've got to have faith and not doubt, and I've got to hang on, and I've got to, I've got to do my best. You know, I've got to cling on, and I've, I've got to be a believer, and I've got to put those doubts away from me. And if I have faith in Jesus, I am given this eternal life, this hope. But you see, the problem was, in my youth group, there were loads of kids, well, I meet adults in this coffee house, actually, who come see me all the time, and they say, Steve, well, someone on Friday, actually, I sat in that corner with someone who said, Steve, I love the church, and I love everything that happens in it, but I just can't believe. I just can't believe all this stuff. I, I really don't believe that Jesus was born of a virgin. Do you know, and half the time, I think this life is just it. So I don't believe I've not got enough faith, so I'm doomed. Which is a strange thing, because if you don't believe, why do you think you're doomed? But anyway, that's, you know, so there you are. But that's faith in Christ. But look what it says. Or you can read it through the faithfulness of, instead of faith. Which would make it read, this righteousness is given through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ to all who believe. Now put it to you. That's not just a slightly different reading. It's a frigging great bomb dropped right the way through the whole of Christianity. <coughs> because it's now saying, if you go for this reading instead of that reading, which it says is totally legitimate, instead of saying, I'm saved by having faith and clinging on and having enough faith and expressing it the right way and believing all the right things consistently and hopefully never doubting, it's saying... I'm rescued, I'm saved, not through my efforts. I'm rescued and I have life because of the faithfulness of Jesus and what he's already done for us all. It's a pretty big difference. And actually, the phrase in there is pistis Christu. You recognise the Christ bit of Christu. Here's the funny thing. 
all the way through history, from the Vulgate, the early translations of the Bible, etc., etc., everyone always translated this phrase, everyone, everywhere, always translated it as the faithfulness of Christ. I haven't got time to explain to you why it's been translated that way. Trust me, I'm going to do this, a series on this. I'm going to write a book on it, actually, but I'm going to do a series on it. And I can tell you why this was translated not as faith, but as faithfulness. It always was until the <coughs> Reformation. When Martin Luther didn't like the Catholic Church, as you know, because of all its abuses, and he kind of remodelled Christianity, he read Romans and, and he read about Jews and he saw them as like the modern equivalent of, uh, uh, the old equivalent of modern Catholics. 16th century Catholics were like Jews, all people of religion and the law. And he saw himself in the same position as Paul. So here he thought that works were no good. And what you had to have was faith in Jesus instead of doing indulgences and all that. And you'd be saved by your faith. Now, he was quite right to point out the abuses in the church. But he was absolutely wrong to read this as faith in Christ. The in or the of isn't there. So how do you get the in or the of? You have to read the whole paragraph. In fact, you have to read the whole letter to really know. So Jane Austen. She wrote a load of um, a lot of books, Pride and Prejudice, etc., etc., and they're wonderful novels, and they're wonderfully famous, and all of that kind of stuff. But actually, if you read them, no serious reader or critic uh, of Jane Austen would read one word or one sentence and say, "Oh, this is all about romance." Actually, any serious reader of the whole of Jane Austen's work knows that she was a fierce social critic of the landed gentry of the late 18th century. And she was a fierce critic of the way that women had to struggle for any kind of security or accreditation which they could only get through marriage. Every serious commentator knows you have to read the whole of Jane Austen to be able to interpret any phrase. If you read the whole of Paul, you'll know that this means the faithfulness of Christ, not faith in Christ. So it was always interpreted that way until Martin Luther came along. And then for the last 450 years, it's 500 years since the Reformation, for about 440 years, actually, it was already always read that way. And then um, in the 1960s and 70s, and then decisively in 1984, a bloke called um, Richard Hayes, great biblical scholar, wrote a book called The Faith of Jesus. And Richard Hayes' book became a rewriting of the whole way we understand that phrase. It means this, that I am who I am because of the faithfulness of Jesus Christ in what he did and how he served and how he taught and what he gave. Paul who wrote um, 13 of the, of the New Testament's 27 letters. You know, there are only 27 books in the New Testament, and, and Paul knocked up 13 of them, and the 14th, the Acts of the Apostles, is basically about him. I mean, it is a book about Paul's journeys, his missionary journeys. So he's a pretty dominant figure in the New Testament. 
Without doubt, and you have to trust me on this, without doubt, Paul is a Jew. You know that. And he thinks Jewishly. And he's waiting for the Messiah of the Jews to come and rescue them again because like all good Jews, he knows that Jews are in God's plan. They are his people. No Jew ever says, oh, am I saved or not? Everyone goes, of course you are. God's already saved us. He pulled us out of um, Egypt. We are rescued. We are redeemed. We are God's chosen people. But then things had gone wrong, but they all believed that God was going to do it again for them. They all, you know, God is the God of Israel and he has an obligation to look after us. That's what all, to be, use a technical term, Second Temple Jews <coughs> believed. I won't explain that. But um, that's what they all believed. And what happened to Saul, Paul, as he became, on this road uh, to Damascus is he suddenly realised through that cataclysmic event in his life that what God had done for the Jews... He was doing for everyone. That Jesus, the Jewish, was actually the Jewish Messiah, even though he didn't think so at first. But the Jewish Messiah was the Messiah for everyone, the whole world, every person, indeed the whole cosmos, which is why he keeps saying Jesus is Lord. So he realised that just as Jews are all in, we're all in. Every one of us. Now I'm a member of a family, it's called the Chalk family, as you'll know. I'm one of four siblings, do you know? I'm a member of the family. Have I always been good to my mum and dad, who both sadly died now? The answer is no, I did some stupid stuff. Was I always in the family? Yeah. But Connie and I got four kids ourselves, as you know, you know all of them, some of you. And we got four <laughs> little grandsons. They're in the family. They do some stupid stuff. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they're only young, do you know? They just know. Like yesterday, I took everybody out and I bought it to the duck and waffle. And my little grandson, Josiah, some of you know, he knocked my duck on the floor. <laughs> they know, like, right? I think almost purposely. Is he still part of the family? Do I still love him? Do I approve of him knocking my duck on the floor? Oh, no, I don't. Do I love him as just every bit as much as I did before he knocked my duck on the floor? Of course I do. He's in the family. And what Paul is saying is, we're in the family because of the faithfulness of Jesus. Do we screw it up? Of course we do. But we're in the family. Now, a little bit more. Here's another. Um, you, 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 here's another famous verse. It says this. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Do you see that? Actually, what it means is this. For it's grace you're saved. Now, remember this. People say to you, you're saved by grace. And then they say, alone. Do you know that was one of Luther's things? You're saved by grace alone. And then another thing of Luther was, you're saved by faith alone. Well, I'll put it to you, if you're saved by grace alone, how can you be saved by faith? Because they're completely different. Grace is undeserved acceptance. Yeah? Faith is, you're saved by, if you have enough faith. And in that sense, faith becomes another work. Because I've got to really work at having enough faith so I can get accepted. But this says we're saved by grace. But let me unpack it then. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. Faith or the faithfulness of Jesus. 
because Paul doesn't spell it all out in every sentence because he expects you to know the whole thing. He's, so we're saved by God's undeserved acceptance of us through the faith, the faithfulness of what Jesus has done for us. And if you think, and it's, I think that should be spelt out a bit there, but Paul's using shorthand, like you can't judge everything Jane Austen thinks by just taking one sentence. You've got to take it all. So that's shorthand there. Now, if you think that I'm using the word pistis wrongly, and it does mean faith, and by the way, there are some people who still say it does mean faith, a few and far between, but they still say it means faith because they're clinging to, in my view, an old way of thinking. And it's like, oh, crikey, I've always believed this stuff. And what are you doing now? Because it messes with your head. And if what I'm saying is right, it has huge implications that we can't even begin to go into now. But let me prove to you that it actually does mean faithfulness. This is a Greek lexicon. It's online. You know, when I went to theological college, I got <coughs> loads of these books at home. But this is online. And it's called Bible Hub. It's fantastic. You can look it up. So here you see you have, this is Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. There's all the words in English. There's all the words uh, transliterated. And here's all the words in Greek. This is what the verse says in Greek, word for word. This is what the verse says in English. This is what transliteration. And it's about the, the uh, fruit of the Spirit, the way we should live. Now, if you're saved by faith, why is Paul bothered about the way you live? Because he knows the word pistis means faithfulness. So if we're saved by the faithfulness of Jesus for us, our task is then to live like it. Paul's message summed up in a nutshell is, you're in, now live like you're in. It's my message to my children, probably their message to me. You're in the family, but now behave like you are. You'll blow it and you'll make mistakes and you're forgiven because you're in and you can't get out. But live like you're in, live like you're in. And this is why Paul writes about the fruit of the Spirit. But look what he says. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit, here's all the Greek words, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. It goes on into the next verse. Faithfulness. Translated as faithfulness. You're familiar with this verse? Yeah? So you look across at the Greek word. Ah! It's pistis! Pistis. That's how you transliterate it. So the point is this. Even the New Testament, this is the NIV again, in other places, translates this word definitely as faithfulness and not faith. But going back to here, it says, well, you can read it as faith or you can read it as faithfulness. Do you see? If it's faith in Jesus... We're in one kind of environment. If it's through the faithfulness of Jesus, we're in a completely different ball game. This isn't just messing about. This is a game of football and this is a game of rugby. You know, in fact, this is a game of football and this is yachting. You know, it's like completely different. And I put it to you that since, um, since Richard Hayes, scholars around the world have realised that this is the right reading. Uh, 
I quoted Tom Wright this morning because everybody thinks that Tom is the only biblical scholar in the world. So, you know, so, which isn't true though, he's a great one. So Tom Wright said, I haven't got his quote here tonight, but he says, the only true way of understanding this is that we are rescued through the faithfulness, the faithful living of the Messiah and what he has achieved. We are in all of us. <coughs> So what about the people who live in Baghdad? And what about the people who live in Bournemouth? And what about the family members who have completely blown it? And what are those who are not even sure that they're in the family? And what are those who mess up the family? They're still in the family. They're still in. Every single one of them. Paul's message is, you're in. There's nothing you can do about that. But now, live faithfully to that and work it out. Which brings us, as we end, right back to what <coughs> Stuart was saying. And that's why, in fact, it's a necessity in our country now. It's fine to have great ideas about youth work, or children's work, or elderly people's work, or running libraries, or whatever your debt advice centres, <coughs> or the food bank we've got, or whatever. But in the end, it boils down to, so am I going to be faithful to the fact that I'm already in, and I'm gonna live that way? and I'm going to get involved. <coughs> I realise that what I've said is quite cataclysmic. In fact, I'd say this, if you don't think what I've said is cataclysmic, <coughs> it's because you've not heard. <laughs> it's because you've not understood. This is the biggest atom bomb in biblical thought for the last 500 years. It's not my thought. It actually first of all, the, well, the thought of scholars through the 60s, 70s and 80s, it's just that life in churches normally lags a long way behind where <coughs> theologians have got to. You're in, all of you. That's the good news. I, that's what they say. You're in. You're in. In spite of our imperfections, our mistakes, our muddles, our clinging on sometimes, <coughs> us not believing sometimes. I remember before this church really got going, in wider work of Oasis, which is you know, my job, 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 if you see what I mean. I remember going through about six years, honestly, of just clinging on. I wasn't sure that I had any energy, I was any use, I wasn't even sure I believed a load of stuff because it just felt that I believed officially. Do you see what I mean? And I just kept on keeping on, keeping on, keeping on. Living faithfully to the fact that I'm in whatever I feel like. You're in, says Paul. I really think these two phrases sum it up. Paul's whole message is, you're in. You're loved. You're part of the family. Now, live faithfully to that. Live faithfully to what's already true of you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word, Pistus. And we thank you that we've reached that place where we can now see that the way it was interpreted through the years, through the centuries, makes sense. Help us to, one, absorb the fact that we're loved by you, that we're in, all of us, in spite of our shortcomings and failings and the struggle and mess of our daily lives. 
we're in because of the faithfulness of Jesus and what he's done. Help us to live faithfully to the story that we're already part of. This is our prayer together. Amen.